I am so excited to announce that the Kindle ebook version of the Uncommon Guide to Healing from Narcissistic Abuse, How I Used Art to Break the Pattern and Redefine My Identity, is now live on Amazon. That means if you pre-ordered the Kindle ebook, it should have been magically delivered to your device a few days ago by the power of technology. And I'm even more excited that tomorrow, Friday, November 17th, the paperback version of the Uncommon Guide to Healing from Narcissistic Abuse will finally be available for purchase. I can't wait for you to start reading it, completing the art and writing exercises at the end of each chapter, and experiencing some big aha moments. Will you order either the ebook or paperback this week? Or better yet, order one for yourself and one for a friend? I'm working really hard to see if I can get to a number one ranking in one of my chosen categories on Amazon. So far, as of the time of this recording, my lowest ranking has been number 48 in the self-help for abuse category. You know, just like pretty much everything we experience online, Amazon has its own algorithm. And the more orders I get, especially on the same day or within a few days, the better my ranking. And also, the more I'll gain visibility in the Amazon algorithm when other overcomers like you log on to search for books about healing from narcissistic abuse. More popular books are going to show up first in someone's search. So let's make the Uncommon Guide to Healing from Narcissistic Abuse popular, shall we? It's all up to you. The reason that I'm so passionate about getting my book out there to the masses is because it is truly an uncommon guide. There are plenty of books out there that provide great education about narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse, and trauma of all kinds. So many of these excellent books. But the goal of my book is to share a different perspective on healing for women who are in a different place on their journey. This book is for you if you're ready to step out of what I call the information gathering phase of healing and you're ready to step into taking action, figuring out who you are apart from the narcissist. It's not just about education, it's about action. In the book, I share parts of my personal story, mindset shifts necessary to really move forward after narcissistic abuse, and practical exercises to help you get unstuck and work toward redefining your identity on your own terms. And although there are also many books out there on the topic of art therapy, I haven't seen anything else that uses art therapy techniques like I have so specifically catered to healing from narcissistic abuse but this is my story. It's how I've healed and I continue to heal. It's a little uncommon and won't appeal to everyone. You know, there's a speaker um, and podcast host who I really enjoy named Trent Shelton. And on the introduction to his podcast, every time he says, my goal isn't to reach millions. My goal is to reach you. It's that emphasis on even if one person is reached by his message, then it's all worth it, right? And that's exactly how I feel about my book and about the Art That Overcomes podcast. I'm here for you, you, the one listening to this right now. I'm here for women who connect with what I'm saying and the approaches I teach. I'm embracing the uncommonness of my process and excited for you to join me. But in order to reach you and the others out there like you, I've got to get my book and message out to the masses so you can find me, right? And I got to have to trust that the, these right overcomers like you will, will come to me 
and I'm certainly glad that you were here. Okay, so please order a book or two or three. The link is in the podcast description below. Now, I'm going to read for you my favorite passage from the book. I think it's my absolute favorite, at least in the top three, probably my favorite. (laughs) On Monday, a few days ago, I shared the introduction. Um, So if you haven't listened to that, you can go back to episode 70 and hear me read that. Um, The introduction um, is also available for you via email. If you want to sign up for that along with the first chapter, again, you can go to the link below to get that sent to your email. Now I'm going to skip ahead though. I'm not going to read for you chapter one. I'm going to skip ahead to the beginning of chapter two. This is my favorite part because this is a passage um, of the book that just really, really resonates with me personally. It's just very special to me. So for context, um, in case you haven't read chapter one yet, I'll let you know that in chapter one, I share that within a five-year period, um, this was when I was age 30 to 35, I got married, my mom died of cancer, I had a baby, and I got divorced, and not to mention moving multiple times and changing jobs too. And it was a lot to process in a short span of years. So I begin chapter two by talking about my mom quite a bit. My grief over her suffering and her death were very intertwined with my experience in an emotionally abusive relationship. It was all happening at once. So there are some parallels I make here at the beginning of chapter two between things I was processing related to both experiences. I love this first section of chapter two, and I hope you do too. From Chapter 2 of The Uncommon Guide to Healing from Narcissistic Abuse, How I Used Art to Break the Pattern and Redefine My Identity. Chapter 2, The Documents We Choose. Words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes a human voice to infuse them with deeper meaning. Maya Angelou. Our lives are documented on paper birth certificate, social security card, report cards, census reports, bills, taxes, marriage license, divorce agreement, medical records, death certificate. From birth to death and everything in between, we are documented creatures. Our identities are logged in computer systems, file folders, and back catalogs like mere data. Most of the time, we don't give this much thought. We just accept it as a given. But I've found that in times of suffering and grief, I begin to look deeper. Perhaps you find yourself in a similar place right now. I remember when my mother was dying of colon cancer. I had accompanied her to one of the countless doctor's appointments we would navigate during her illness. As the young nurse pushed my 60-year-old mother in a wheelchair from the waiting room and down the hall to the exam room, I followed behind. We stopped to grab her medical charts along the way. The nurse picked up a file folder, the thickness of which could only be rivaled by the largest encyclopedia volume you've ever seen on a library shelf. She plopped it in my mother's lap. Then a second folder appeared, about half the size, stacked right on top of the first. No, don't make her hold that, I thought to myself. Isn't she carrying enough already? As I continued in our patient parade down the hall, 
I felt we were moving in slow motion. So many thoughts and feelings flooded my mind. Is this all my mother's life has amounted to? Doesn't she deserve more personalized care, honor, and attention? I was filled with the grief of what she and my sister and I had experienced on this long cancer journey, and the weight felt almost too heavy to bear. So much of her illness was completely out of our control. We followed medical advice, took one day at a time, and hoped and prayed for the best. Apart from flying her halfway across the world to engage in experimental treatment, the stress of which might have killed her before the cancer did, we felt there was no other choice. A few years later, my divorce felt strangely similar. I desperately wanted to save the marriage, but somehow I, find I found myself riding a train headed for divorce. And what's more, at some point I had decided to put on the conductor's hat and drive that train for fear that the only alternative was to be run over by it. I made the hard choice to take control over a situation that I hadn't even wanted in the first place. Now I've got a drawer full of legal documents that trace my journey from marriage to divorce with a myriad of court orders to follow. That stack of paper isn't as big as my mother's medical records, but it's close. My mother's and grandmother's death certificates inhabit a folder nearby. These types of documents tell a story, but not the way I would choose to tell it. They're cold, impersonal, and routine. They record facts and events, not emotions and experiences and preferences. They do not capture the heart and soul of what I've been through. As an, as an artist, I have the power to tell the rest of the story. I can create beautiful documentation of the emotional journey that court orders leave out. My artwork is not part of a mandated system of record keeping. Rather, it is the record that I choose to leave behind. My mom was also an artist. She painted beautiful flowers mostly and worked as an art teacher for nearly three decades until the cancer forced her into an early retirement. I have small boxes and notebooks filled with her flower sketches from late in life and her painted canvases hang on my walls. I inherited several of her art history and art education books as well as her entire rock collection. Artists tend to accumulate things, objects, boxes of interesting size and shape, shards of nature and colored glass, tools, brushes, antiques, jars of mysterious substances, a piece of mediocre pottery a friend made in college. The list could go on. Most important of all though, is my mother's artwork itself. It's her voice, if you will, a visual language all her own. It's a record of her life, interests, and chosen color palette. It's the documents that she chose to leave behind. We all create visual art in one form or another throughout our lives. Childhood crayon drawings, school project dioramas, imagined floor plans for a new home, the doodles in the margins of our paper during a class or meeting. One doesn't have to be a professional artist with a capital A to leave this kind of legacy behind. We all create, we all make things. We have a series of papers of following, you have a series of papers following you through life that are of your own choosing. It's not all about birth certificates and divorce decrees. 
One of my favorite things about art therapy is the way my client's artwork serves as a visual record of healing and growth. Whether they choose to hang on to the physical paper, canvases, and hunks of clay, or memorialize them through photos in albums, websites, and Instagram profiles, there's so much information housed within the art. A review of artwork completed over any span of time will reveal patterns and shifts in the emotional and mental state of the artist. The same could be said for written journal entries, but I believe there's something more powerful about the art. The familiar saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, is really true in this instance. Visual art has a way of speaking to us that words simply cannot touch. Colors, shapes, and textures have the ability to hit us deep in the gut before our brain even has the chance to formulate the verbiage to describe it. Art gets right to the core of our emotions. In the spring of 2019, I had the opportunity to exhibit a body of artwork that I had never imagined would be viewed in a gallery. It all started with one series of nine small paintings. Now these paintings, and these alone, had been created specifically to communicate with an audience. In the series, I used abstract shapes to describe the cycle of feelings I experienced in my emotionally abusive marriage. From feelings of being safe within his control, to confusing enmeshment, codependency, and a near loss of self, it was all there, carefully curated. I was proud of the paintings and I inquired about including them in a group exhibit. As plans were being made, I was notified that I could actually have the entire gallery to myself. Do you have enough work for a solo show? The gallery directors asked. My initial response was a maybe. I had been making lots of art over the previous three years since first renting my little studio space after the divorce. As described earlier in chapter one, I'd been painting, drawing, writing, and crying my way through healing. This work was personal. It was therapeutic. It wasn't created with the intent of communicating to anyone other than myself. I started digging through the piles of drawings on paper, stacked on tables and in boxes. One large piece was crumbled up and shoved on the floor in a corner under layers of chalk dust. The writing I'd done in response to my artwork was scattered through sketchbooks and on loose sheets of construction paper. I pulled it all out and surveyed what I saw. This was certainly a visual record of my healing. All the emotions, struggles, confusion, joy, and relief had come had, that had come with my initial stages of recovery from narcissistic abuse were there in this body of work. My maybe quickly turned to a definite yes. I felt a strong sense of calling to share this work with others. My hope was that other women would find themselves within my visual story. I wanted them to feel comforted and not alone. I wanted them to be encouraged on their own artistic journeys and feel empowered to share their stories as well. I prayed that those who had not experienced emotional abuse would learn and feel a new level of empathy for survivors. The exhibit did turn out to be everything I had hoped for, and it was shortly after that I began forming the curriculum for the redefined process. I needed a way to reach far beyond the walls of that one art gallery with an easy to follow method for engaging other women in my process. While working through the process myself, I had discovered that the root cause of all my overwhelm, anxiety, confusion, lack of confidence, and self-doubt was a disconnect from my own identity. 
Just like the abstract shapes depicted in my series of paintings about emotional abuse, my, my sense of self had gradually become muddied up with his self and the wounded identity that he projected onto me. Over the years, I had passively allowed him to define my identity until I almost lost myself completely. It was through my art and writing process that I began to take control of my identity again. I began to rediscover, re reconnect with, and redefine my identity on my own terms, one drawing and painting at a time. Thanks for listening, Overcomer. Now head to the link in the podcast description to order the ebook or paperback version of the Uncommon Guide to Healing from Narcissistic Abuse. Paperbacks are available tomorrow, Friday, November 17th. Will you order a copy for yourself and one for a friend? Let's join forces to see how many women we can reach with this message of shifting focus from the abusers to actually looking at ourselves working to redefine our identities on our own terms. Remember, you are an overcomer.